All right, so welcome to Jesus 101, or put another way, who is Jesus? Everybody's in the right place, right? You're in the Snapchat Jesus track. You're hoping to follow that track in this same room for the various workshops that will be offered to you, the breakout sessions, over the next two days. This is the first session. Everybody's in the right place? Yes. Okay, great. Well, I'm glad you guys are here. My name is Steve Bortner. I am a 25-year veteran of Chi Alpha, never a student, but immediately missionary staff back in 1993. And so this is my 25th year in Chi Alpha. And uh, that means 25 salts. That means 25 opportunities to share in opportunities like this. And so it's a real pleasure to have a new group of people before me as I share God's Word and uh, hopefully help us all learn some things uh, from God's Word. Let me tell you, first of all, about what this... Um, work, uh, this breakout is based on. First of all, it's clearly going to be based on, and you'll hear it communicated that way, on the Word of God itself. But there are some other resources that I will share with you, but I'll just have you glance at them quickly. There's one called Christianity, Cults, and Religions. It's actually kind of one of those multifold brochures that can fold out and give you all kinds of comparisons between different sects or religions or cults and such as that. And so I've used that as a resource just to keep my mind straight as to the differences between those who say they follow Jesus and clearly don't, okay? Then there's another research, uh, resource that's available. Perhaps you've seen it before, Ravi Zacharias's book, Jesus Among Other Gods, a great resource, especially when you're trying to compare Christianity, biblical Christianity, with Hinduism and Buddhism and such as that, okay? Um, then there is also a small booklet that I've become acquainted with recently that is called Why I Love Muslims and Why I'm a Follower of Jesus the Messiah. So it's just a little booklet to share with Muslim friends, but I found it as a good resource for a few of the points that I want to share with you today. And then lastly, come on in friends, lastly, just a reference uh, to a ministry in the Assemblies of God World Missions called Center for Ministry to Muslims. Now, all of that I'm going to give to you as a resource, because what I want you to do is I want you to be prepared. I'm going to give it to you now and at the end. I don't have a handout for you because there's too much information that I feel like that it would just be too heavyweight to, to really try to follow in a handout, but I am going to say that I will respond to your text where you're sharing your name and your email address saying, Steve, everything you shared with us in that 45 minutes that we were together under the title of Jesus 101 or Who is Jesus, will you now send that to me in a PDF form? I'm glad to do that. So are you ready? Some of you want to do it now, get your phones ready. If you want to do it as a contact or just as a note, I'll give it to you now and then again at the end. I'm going to give you my phone number. Okay, honey, do I have permission to give women my phone number? Okay, all right, okay. All right. so men and women, my phone number is 919-616-6376. 919-616-6376. It has a little rhythm to it, doesn't it? 919-616-6376. Steve, if you want to put on there, or, or Jesus 101 notes, okay? All right, and I'll give it that to you again at the end so that if you're, if you're interested, I'll be glad to send this to you in a PDF form to where you might be able to use it as a future resource. Okay, so let me tell you what this breakout session is not going to be about right from the very beginning so that you won't have any confusion. This breakout session will not look so much at the historical person of Jesus. You know, talking about when was he truly born. We do understand, right, it really wasn't December 25th. 
2,000 years ago, okay? All right? Uh, we're not going to talk about his actual birth date. We're not going to talk about his, um, how he was raised in a Jewish home and in Jewish life. We're not going to talk really about the cultural and the historical environment and attitudes and, and biases of the day. Uh, we're not even going to approach the fact that he may have grown up as an apprentice to his father, the carpenter, and that he had brothers and sisters, other family, and uh, how he lived his life in those unknown years that the Bible really doesn't give as much information about. We're not going to talk about those things. What we are going to talk about, first of all, is what does the Bible have to say about who Jesus is? Because, you see, for all the others, Josephus and many other historians and other documents and resources that we can refer to that might be helpful to us in our discovery of who is Jesus, the primary source should be what? The Bible itself. Now, it can be debated by some and is debated by some as to whether the Bible is true in itself. Is it reliable historical resource? But we're going to get past all of that and just simply move forward. So let me introduce to you, first of all, for the next 25 or 30 minutes, the foundation of what I want to share with you, and then I hope to share some inspiration with you that'll, that'll tie this all together. First of all, what is biblical Christianity? What does the Bible, in the context of Christianity, say about Jesus? Point number one, and again, you don't have to take notes because I'm glad to share all this resource. I just want you to listen, but not listen so comfortably that you start dozing on me, okay? So I hope to keep you alert. First of all, Jesus is God. He is the second person of a triune God, a God expressed in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as God the Son, He has always existed and never was created by another. As the second person of the Trinity, he is co-equal with God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. And before coming to earth, as we celebrated recently in the Christmas season, before coming to earth, he was already God, the Son of God. And then while on earth, he was fully God and fully man at the same time. Two natures joined, not mixed, joined. Mix gives a sense of one thing might have been diluted into the other. But he was fully God, fully man. Thus, the Bible speaks of him as Emmanuel, God with us. His name is Jesus, because he came to save us from our sins. And Christ, because he was the long-awaited-for promised one. In becoming man, he was begotten by the Holy Spirit. Can we figure out how that happened? No. It is a miracle of God. But he was begotten of the Holy Spirit and born of a young woman, a virgin, named Mary. Jesus, the Bible says, is the only way to the Father, the only way of salvation from our sins, and the only way to eternal life with God. He died on a cross, according to God's plan, as the full sacrifice and payment for our sins. He rose from the dead on the third day, just like he said he would. And he rose spiritually and physically immortal to live forever again. But for the next 40 days after his resurrection, he was seen by more than 500 eyewitnesses. And when he did, he physically ascended to heaven with the promise that he will come back again visibly and physically at the end of the world to establish God's kingdom and judge the world. 
That's what the Bible says about our God and our Savior, Jesus. But the reason we've titled this elective, this breakout, is so that we might introduce Jesus in the context of what others say about Jesus. The foundation first, what does the Bible say? In those short statements, I've tried to present that to you. Now let's hear a little bit about what others say Jesus is or is not as it's compared or contrasted with the Bible. Other groups teach these things about Jesus. Number one, Jesus was not God. But again, if you use the Bible as, its, as your main resource, there's many scriptures, but one that I highlight for you is John chapter 1, the very first verses. It will be familiar to many of you. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And in verse 14 later, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. A few verses later in verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, I'm sorry, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Then in John chapter 8, verse 56 to 58, Jesus says to some doubting Jews, before Abraham was born, I am. And in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 20, Paul said of Jesus, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. A little further, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, speaking of Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Kyle is all about what? Reconciling students to Christ. It's because of who Jesus is that we were able to be reconciled to the Father. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, Paul says to Timothy, and it lends well for us today, Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He, meaning Jesus, appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and was taken up into glory. Groups that say Jesus was not God are obviously not reading the Bibles we are reading. Because the scriptures clearly indicate that not only Jesus, but those key church fathers, those apostles, those first leaders, have been commending this attribute to Jesus all along. Jesus is God. Well, there's some other groups that say, well, Jesus was created by God, or that Jesus was just a man like we are. But in John chapter 10, verses 30 to 38, when the Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone Jesus for claiming to be God, Jesus himself replied, I am the one 
whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world. Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said, I am God's son. Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe, believe the works that you know, uh, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Even the prophet Isaiah, seven or eight hundred years at least before this prophecy ever came true in the life of Jesus, the season that we just celebrated, Isaiah himself said, Therefore the Lord God himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So even Isaiah is prophesying that an angel himself will be declaring, okay, declaring in a sense that this is God who has now come to be within us. So anybody who says, well, Jesus is not God, or Jesus is just an ordinary man like the rest of us, that is not what the Bible teaches. What source are they referring to? What inspiration do they have? Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. And don't misunderstand this, friends. It says this, It is true that the Holy Spirit caused Mary to become pregnant with the Son of God, who would be born as a human yeah, the Son of God who would be born as a human child, Jesus. But God's Son was already living eternally and was not, in this instance, created by God. So to say that when Jesus was born began the life of this person, Jesus, that is humanly true in the birth of this human child, but it's not the beginning of Jesus. Jesus has always been and always will be God, the Son of God, and so he was not created in that moment. In John chapter 17, verse 5, just before Jesus would be arrested and begin to suffer, Jesus himself states, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I have had with you before the world began. Jesus is giving that chronological context. Colossians 1, verse 15 to 20, referring back to those verses where he says, In him all things were created, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. So Jesus didn't just come on the scene at his birth in a little town called Bethlehem. And that's why we now might consider that he is our savior. He has always been God. He is God. He is not just a man. Well, continuing about what some other groups and again, I'm going to give you the resources where you can see the, uh, the distinctions of these different groups. What other groups might teach about Jesus? Here are some other things they might say. Well, Jesus was a great prophet, but he's not God. Or that Jesus is God, but less than God the Father. All right, John chapter 5, verse 17 and 18, and then verse 23, essentially say this. Jesus, persecuted by corrupt religious leaders... Because he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God, then said this further, those who don't honor the son, speaking of himself, do not honor the father who sent him. So yes, it's very clear by Jesus' own admission, by his own claims, that he was not just a prophet, but he was of God and is God. He's no less than God the father or the spirit, for he is God. In fact, even Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, Paul saying to those believers in Colossae, In Christ is all the fullness of the deity 
living in bodily form. Yes, he's living in bodily, he had lived in bodily form, but even then was all the fullness of God himself. Well, some other groups may teach these things. It's not a trinity of one God in three persons. It's three gods, not one who is three. Well, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, remember when there was this declaration, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. How many have heard that expression before, right? In sermons or in teaching? This is what the Israelite people would declare. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But you have to look a little closer in the context of that and understand, or there might be some misunderstandings where essentially it's this, the Lord is the one. The Lord is the only true God. The only true God. That's essentially what they're saying. The Lord our God is, I'm sorry, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He is the one God, yes, but the one of the three. See, don't read it as if it's saying the Lord is one, only one God, not three who are one. That is, I'm sorry, that is the misunderstanding. People are thinking that it's that God is one God, not the one who is three, but still is unified in the one. Well, when you look at Scripture, Isaiah 43.10, it also says, The Lord declares, Before me no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. Isaiah 44, I am the first and the last. Apart from me there is no God. Matthew 28, remember the Great Commission? Notice, what does Jesus say himself? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all things, right? Okay? Well, he just taught them something. Isn't that something that they then should propagate and encourage? Teaching that there is a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter addresses his letter to believers in many of the northern regions saying that they have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with His blood. Well, who was mentioned in that declaration right there? God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus the one, Son, the one who was sprinkled with His blood. Other scriptures that I could share with you, but look at uh, Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 through 14, but summarized right here, it's essentially saying this. In the past, before Jesus came to be on earth, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful world, word. rather. After He had provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So He became as much superior to the angels as the name He has inherited is superior to theirs. Jesus is God. Now, some heretical groups may teach this. Well, Jesus is not the only Son of God. Now, would you agree? Some of the most familiar scriptures in the Bible are John chapter 3. Right? God so loved the world that he gave his what? One and only Son. Capital S, Son. Okay? 
or in John chapter 3, a little later in the verse, uh, chapter, in the verse 36, whoever believes in his son has eternal life. Friends, Jesus is the only son of God. Yet, we as humans, in right relationship with God, are adopted into the family of God, and we can consider each other as what? Brothers and sisters in a great family of believers, right? But I don't think that's what some groups are advocating. They're advocating that just as Jesus was a son of God, a son of God, we too might be able to be a son or daughter of God in the sense that we have raised ourselves in an enlightenment, in a deification, to where we are a part of the family of God by what we have attained, not by what Jesus has made possible by reconciling us to the Father and being adopted into his family. Amen? And 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. Romans chapter 8, verse 14, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are called what? The children of God. John chapter 1, verse 12, All who did receive him to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. But that's different from being sons of God that Jesus is not the only Son of God. It's very different. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, God has brought many sons and daughters to glory. Notice, this is how the scripture is phrased. God has brought many sons and daughters to glory, assuming we mean after their death, because of their belief or trust in the one who suffered and died for their sins. And both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. And Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. So are there many sons and daughters of God? Sure. Some of us are in the room. Many of us are in the room today. But it's not the same as the expression of saying that Jesus is not the only Son of God, that there are many who are a part of the family of God that have attained to God-like status. That is not what the Bible teaches. Some religions would say this, Jesus is not necessary. Are you going to say something like that to Jesus? You're not necessary, Jesus. You're, you're really totally unnecessary. <laughs> Jesus is not necessary because there is no sin. I've heard some students at times saying, so what's, what's up with this about Jesus dying on the cross and suffering many things for our sins? What do you have to go and do that for? It was totally unnecessary. And there are some groups in the world today that advocate Jesus is not necessary because there is no sin. But once again, referring back to John chapter 3, verses 14 to 18, what is the summary of that good news? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not, what? Perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. You see how all this scripture just really knits together to answer these um, heresies. Right? Romans chapter 3. Right? If we want to take the Romans road, as sometimes we've heard the expression, Romans chapter 3, verses 23 to 26, say this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement 
through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance or patience, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 6, uh, in several places, says, We are slaves to sin, bound by it, yet we can be set free in Christ. Romans 6, 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 to 10, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim that we have not sinned ever or even today, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Again, some groups may say, well, Jesus is not necessary because people must pay for their sins. Isn't that the whole reason Jesus came? So that we would not have to pay? Can you imagine if we did have to pay for our sins? All right. Or they say, well, Jesus died for sins, but people can't be saved unless they also obey all the teachings of the church, whatever that church entity might be. Again, a lot of scriptures, but the ones I'd like to highlight for you today are familiar, I think, most to you. Ephesians chapter 2. For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Religions of many different cultures, going beyond maybe American culture now. Let's go a little bit more global. Religions of many different cultures might insist this. Well, there's many ways to God. All roads lead not to Rome, but to eventually a God, a deity. But it is not true. It's not what the Bible teaches, that there are many ways to God, not just one. John 3 again. What, a, what an essential chapter this is. Tells us in verses 14 to 17. It's the Son of Man who must be lifted up. Everyone who calls on His name will have eternal life. And whoever believes in Him will not perish but be saved. There are not many ways. There's one way. In John chapter 14, verses 6 to 7, Thomas had asked Jesus, How can we know the way, Jesus? And Jesus answers, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth, for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for us all. Yes, it was necessary that Jesus accomplish all that the Father had sent him on mission to do. And he has accomplished that because there are not many ways to God. There's only one way. So what I'd like to do for a few minutes, and believe me, this is just highlights, but highlights enough that perhaps it might stir some interest in you to investigate further, especially if you have friends who follow these ways in their pursuit of God, that maybe these will be some highlights as it relates to the person, the subject of who? Jesus. There's so many other things we could talk about, but focused on Jesus. This is what other groups might believe according to either their misinterpretation of the Word of God or 
their use of other resources. Here's one. The Mormons, also known as the Latter-day Saints, Church of the Latter-day Saints, began in about the mid-1800s, so they're not even 200 years old yet as a sect. What do they believe? Here's some highlights. God was once a man himself, but became God. So you see, it's not God is God who becomes man, but it's man is man and one day attained to be God. God was once a man himself, but became God. God has a physical body, not spirit. God has a physical body, as does his wife, Heavenly Mother. There is no trinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are separate gods. Worthy men may one day become gods themselves, and so it's not that God became a man, it's that men can become gods. When we talk about the person of Jesus Christ, these are some essential things that Mormons believes, believe. Here are a few other things. Jesus, so, is a separate God from the Father, referred to as Elohim. And that is a true word in Hebrew language. But we think of Elohim being more representative of the God who is plural but is one, whereas they refer to Elohim as the Father, a separate God from the Son and Spirit. Jesus was created as a spirit child by the Father and Mother in heaven, and is the elder brother of all men and spirit beings. Now, does the scripture say that, in a sense, relationally, he is our elder brother? Sure, but not in the context of that he has attained elder brother status over men and spirit beings because of the Father and Mother of heaven. Jesus' life and body was created by sexual union between Elohim and Virgin Mary. Now, we know the scripture says that Mary was caused to be pregnant, begotten of the Holy Spirit, and though we're not sure what that really means, it is a miracle of God, but the Mormons tend to say, no, it was a God who had been man, who truly laid sexually with a young virgin Mary to be able to cause her to become pregnant. Later, Jesus himself got married. And his death does not provide full atonement for all sin, but his resurrection at least gives us hope of a resurrection for ourselves. So understand the confusion there. His death doesn't provide atonement or paying the penalty for our sins, but the fact that he resurrected does give us hope that one day we will be resurrected. What about Jehovah's Witnesses? Some of us may have friends who are Jehovah's Witnesses. That's a group that began in the late 1800s. So again, they're just over 100 or so years old in their life. What do they believe? Well, there is only one person who is God, Jehovah. There is no trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus is actually the first thing that Jehovah created. So you see, Jesus was not God, not the Son of God, but Jehovah created or made Jesus as his first creation. And when he made him, they go on to believe, Jesus is not God. Before he lived on earth, he was actually Michael, the archangel. So Jehovah made the universe through Michael, who eventually became Jesus. On earth, Jesus did live a perfect life, they believe. But when it came to his crucifixion, he was more run through like 
with a stake rather than being nailed to a cross. And his body did, his body was destroyed as it was buried, and there was no physical resurrection, but only his spirit was ascended or resurrected from the grave. So, Jesus is not coming again someday, for he already returned a little more than a hundred years ago, secretly, invisibly, in 1914. But Jehovah's Witnesses work very hard in their door-to-door canvassing of our neighborhoods and perhaps on our campuses because they believe very soon, unless you're counted among their number, Jesus and the angels are going to destroy you before life goes on with only Jehovah's Witnesses as the remnant that will remain. Okay? Now, you can understand, I'm trying to guard any attitude on my part of being hard on anybody. I'm just trying to give you um, basic introduction of the contrast of what is said in the Bible about Jesus. What about Judaism? Judaism is the foundation of our Christian faith today. Uh, We would not be who we are if we didn't really value not only the chronological narrative, the story, the history of the Israelite people from the dawn of creation all the way through the revelation of Jesus Christ, But we need to understand that Jews today do believe very differently um, than we do. They do believe that God is spirit, yes. But to Orthodox Jews, for example, God is personal. He is all-powerful. He is eternal. He is compassionate. To other Jews, God is impersonal, unknowable, and defined in many other ways. Jesus is seen as either an extremist, false messiah or prophet or a good but martyred, unnecessarily, Jewish rabbi, teacher. Many Jews don't even consider Jesus at all since they don't recognize and value the New Testament books that speak of him. Generally speaking, the Jews do not believe Jesus was the promised Messiah and are still waiting for him. Nor do they believe that he is the Son of God, nor that he rose from the dead. So just like the rumors that quickly spread upon Jesus' death and burial, it seems like now nearly 2,000 years later, there are still many Jews who are holding fast to the books of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms, Proverbs, and such as that, and also other scriptures that they have that they refer to in what we call their um, teachings and traditions, okay? But they clearly are not recognizing Jesus as the promised Savior who did come as the Son of God to be our Savior and eventually showing God the Father, showing his value or acceptance of Jesus' great sacrifice, raised him from the dead and returned him to heaven. What about Hinduism? Anybody have Hindu friends? Okay. Generally speaking, Hinduism began about a thousand years B.C. in India. Okay. So some of you say, oh, it's older than Christianity. Yes, it is, but not necessarily older than the Old Testament and then into the New Testament era and the Jesus era. Hinduism. God is the absolute. God is not a person. It's a universal spirit. Everyone is a part of God. Like the drops of water in the sea, so is God. We are all God People may worship millions of manifestations of God, known as Brahman, 
Brahmin is essentially a system of belief of millions of gods and goddesses, millions of manifestations. Just as we believe that Jesus Christ is what? The incarnation of, you know, the incarnation meaning the real life, blood, physical, human person that came to life as the Son of God, the Word sent by God. Hindus believe that there have been always many manifestations of their gods. And whether they worship and pray to little idols and shrines on their desk, on their mantles, or wherever it might be, even in their dormitories on campus, their sense is is that their God is just as real as anybody else's God, because that's how they've been raised in the mindset of that there are many manifestations of Brahman, this system of millions of gods. So to them, Jesus Christ was a good teacher. He was a guru. Even an avatar, meaning an incarnation perhaps of Vishnu or one of their other prominent gods. He is a son of God, as are many other sons of God. See where this goes? But his death does not atone for sins because many Hindus do not believe in the same concept of right and wrong, sin and guilt. It's more of a common word that we use more by abuse and misapplication than than anywhere else in the world, and that's the word what? Karma. Right. Okay? (coughs) Two more. What about Buddhism? Buddhism began about 525 B.C. in India. It's actually an offshoot of Hinduism. So what was first? Hinduism, then Buddhism. Buddhism is mostly atheistic. Most not believing in any god or supreme being. Some speak of the Buddha as a universal enlightened consciousness or a god, but they don't really have any similarity at all to Christianity or monotheist, Christianity, Islam, or Judaism. Jesus Christ is not a part of the Buddhist belief system. Buddhists in the West, at best, generally view Jesus as an enlightened man, but what is this stuff about God and Savior and sin and all of this? That's why in my work, mostly with internationals over the last 25 years, it is quite refreshing and, um, and eye-opening, heart eye-opening, uh, to many Asian students that I reach out to when they recognize that for all of their life growing up, they've been told there is no God in any philosophy or, or system of belief, you know, uh, leaning toward that way is foolishness because there is no God. It's, again, the foundation of Buddhism. There is no God. It's just how we live our lives. Well, one last one that we can introduce, and again, only briefly, and then I want to close it's this. Beliefs are based, uh, Islam, yes, began in 610 AD in Mecca and Medina in today's Saudi Arabia. Belie- their beliefs are based on their Arabic scriptures called the what? The Quran, okay? And also the Hadiths, which are Muhammad's words and deeds. They do recognize and use at times when it's convenient and appropriate the biblical law, law books, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, of Moses, and also Psalms. They do refer to the gospel of Jesus as the Injil, at least in the Arabic, okay? And the gospel of Jesus is accepted by the Quran. But it is considered by Muslims to be corrupted and unreliable. So you might speak of the Bible, you might speak of the scriptures that further further extrapolate about who Jesus is and what God's plan is, and that Jesus was not just another prophet, and then came along eventually Muhammad, who really clarified things for him, but that the Bible, they believe, has been rewritten and unreliable and corrupted to manipulate. But they don't, but they dare you to think the same thing 
of what the Quran might be. Okay? God, Allah, is one. No trinity of persons who are God. God revealed the Quran to Muhammad through the angel Gabriel. God is the severe judge, though sometimes merciful, and is not depicted as loving at all. Jesus is one of up to 124,000 prophets sent by Allah to various cultures over the time. Can you imagine that? Jesus is just one of 124,000 prophets sent by Allah to various cultures over the long period of time. And the most prominent prophets are Abraham, Moses, and Muhammad. Jesus was born of a virgin, but that doesn't make him the son of God. Sinless, yes. Divine, no. He's not God. And he was not crucified. He simply ascended to heaven, never dying. There never was the crucifixion and the burial story. He is referred to as Messiah, even Ayatollah, if that sounds like a familiar name. Ayatollah, which means the sign of God. Jesus will return in the future, but to live and die at another time. I know that I've given you a lot to consider. In a way, what I've done is introduce what the Bible says about who is Jesus, Jesus 101. But I've also appreciated the time that you've given me today in my preparation to try to show you that there are those who might believe some of those things, but then they believe these other things. Or they might reject and deny all of those things because they have a totally different system that they understand.